It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Hello, kitties, and so good to see you again for the second time. Welcome to the second episode of Cheap Talk with Trick Chat. I'm joined by the Matt Porter. Say hi, Matt. What's happening? And another cool cat, since they're both cats, we've got another cool cat who's usually behind the drums and today is behind a mic, Andrew Scambetti. How are you doing? Good to be here, everybody. And Andrew is the uh, drummer for Mr. Speed, a Kiss tribute band. And, and the number one tribute in the world, might I add. Okay. Gotta add that in there. In promo mode already. <laughs> Our first show came up, and uh, it seems like a lot of people seem to enjoy it. And we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, Matt. Well, you know what? I was thrilled that so many people seemed to really connect with it. And the one that, um, the one comment that I thought was so interesting, Pete Bersick from Australia, very cool guy. He actually sent me some uh, of those Thunderbolt, the Kiss Thunderbolt. Uh, the you know the ice pops, just the wrappers and the box, I and also say, like, I hope and a really send, like the whole like, <laughs> right. a, like a little just, freezer. You know, yeah, because got like a, the, bo- uh, a box of sugar the, water. Uh, <laughs> we know it was just like the packaging. I just it's you know it's stuff to put in the collection. He also sent me a really cool book about Australia for the girls, which I thought was really it was just so nice of him. But anyway, he he had posted a comment that said thanks for the ad that he was a true cheap trick virgin. And that basically on the he was on a podcast voyage of discovery, and he says in the 1977 debut album is quite the discovery would never have dialed into this great work and awesome songs like he's a whore cry cry and speak now or forever hold your peace without your podcast. So thank you and eagerly awaiting the next in color show. And I was just so kind of amazed by that. Like you know I can't I think like we said in the first episode, a lot of Kiss fans are also cheap trick fans, but. But to think that somebody would get turned on to Cheap Trick, you know, from, you know, maybe following us from our KISS podcast into a Cheap Trick podcast, I was, I was really jazzed by that. I thought that was great. And if we're turning people on to maybe some Cheap Trick that they didn't know, you know, hey, that's some good stuff. Also, I'd like to send a shout out to everybody on the Cheap Trick message board and to everybody on our Facebook. You can get you can get onto the site, but Facebook.com slash groups slash Cheap Talk is the actual address. Well, today we're going to be doing a Letterman-styled top ten about the band. And in true rock and roll fashion, our top tens go to 11. So, from the home office in Rockford, Illinois, what are your top ten reasons for Bunny Carlos being so cool? Number 11. Two says, Bunny is alright. He's alright. Number 10. Alex Hunter says, his originality is what makes him unique and therefore cool. Number nine, Chris Karam says he looked like my uncle back in the 70s. Number eight, the lovely Lori Schlitz says he's a fan of supper clubs. Number seven, Jody Havnot says he's the only guy to make an insurance salesman's outfit look good. Number six, every Easter... The Bun E brings candy. Number five. Despite being addicted to cheeseburgers and cigarettes, he never loses the beat. Number four. Pete LaRussa says, No one this side of Eddie Van Halen makes playing with a lit cigarette dangling look so easy. Number three. He simply is the high priest of rhythmic noise. Number two. On the drums, 
Mr. Bunny Carlos. And the number one reason Bunny Carlos is so cool, he the king of the whole wide world. Well, today we're going to be talking about the album In Color, the second album from Cheap Trick. Guys, uh, just off the top of your head, like it, love it, hate it, whatever. Love it. <laughs> I'm going to say just what Matt said. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite Cheap Trick album. Well, I love it too. So that was our second episode. Well, you know, um, it's tough because I know <laughs> even on the first episode, we kind of, we even said it, we, we didn't have a lot of negative things to say. Uh -huh. And you get these people out there that kind of comment, you know, not so much on our Cheap Trick page, but maybe, you know, on my own Facebook page or whatever that say, well, you love every song, so, you know, why don't you just say you love the album? I think it's why we would do a podcast about it. If I hated it, you know, would we really be? It went, I wouldn't talk about something I hated that much. And this uh, this album's the same as the first one. There's very few bad things to say about it. So, but make no mistake, folks. There there are going to be albums that will come up where uh, maybe I wasn't such a big fan of certain tracks or certain drum sounds or something like that. We we definitely will let those opinions be known. So. I mean, but on these early albums, these yeah, early, oh, albums, the early albums are so good. And yeah, I mean, certainly there's a certain segment of the audience that loves to just pick everything apart, hate on what they don't, because I think they feel that it makes them more, sound more intelligent, that they have somehow you know, discerned <laughs> that things are bad and really sucks and they could have done a lot better. And you go, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna piss all over this because that makes me sound more intelligent. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think I think these first five albums, you know, we got the first three studio ones. We have at Budokan, then we have All Shook Up. I think those first five albums are are great. There really isn't a, a real bad song in any of those albums. It was later in their career where they started getting experimental, and you know, there are people that either love the flame or hate the flame. Um, but I think these first albums, you're probably not going to get any negative opinions on them from anyone. And if you do, they're probably not a real fan. Well, we did something this time. We reached out to the Cheap Trick message board and our Facebook page, and we had 33 voters. And uh, what we did, we looked to find the top three songs from the collective of Cheap Trick fans. There were 33 voters and 97 votes. Now, if you do the math, it doesn't quite work out. But there was one guy in particular who voted for one song three times. So, <laughs> who would that be, Andrew? Yeah, Andrew. <laughs> who would that be? It wasn't me this time. No, it was you. It, it really? Yep, you voted oh. for down, 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 and I'm like, uh, I can only count it once. So, <sighs> I forgot. So, you know, sometimes I forget the little, uh, <laughs> the little funny things that I do. As a matter of fact, here's here's how our uh, staff today did. Um, I, I picked I picked four songs. I only counted the first three. So, Down to Big Eyes, Come On, Come On, and Oh Caroline. So, Andrew, as we said, picked Downed, Downed, Downed. Matt, he picked Come On, Come On, Downed, Big Eyes, and Wow, pretty much every song is good. So, anyway. <laughs> uh, but we also got some other reaction. I'm going to mention some of the people that did it. We had uh, a guy named Checker Red V said simply can't he couldn't pick 
<laughs> just three songs <laughs> off the album. Darren said, I can never answer questions like this because it would be a different answer tomorrow. It's like, what's your favorite song? I just can't answer it. Lori Schlitt wrote, You're All Talk, Downed Big Eyes, Side 1, Come On, Come On, O Caroline, Southern Girls, Side 2, See What I Did There, Ken, I Don't Like Limits When It Comes to This Band. So, anyhow. So I'm going to mention a few of these people's names, and I don't want to make this boring, but it's kind of like saying hi from us to you, and to let you know that we appreciate it. We had Andrea, the lovely Vicky B, Big Eyes, Crystal M, Calypso, Elliot Grieve, Chris Karam, Kirk Randall, Pete LaRussa, Mark Lowe, BJ Cramp, the awesome BJ Cramp, Chad Ledoux, sounds like a country singer, Ken Rodinas uh, of uh, old KOL fame of Picks and Sticks, Todd Cunningham, Trick Fan Emily, Laney, Brian Salzano, David Holton, Wayne Henderson, Ross Berg, famed author, Cheap Rick, that's a pretty cool name, 12-string bass thing, CLP, Dream Police, Trickster 77, David Kauzinski, that one's kind of hard because of the way he's got it written, and Matthew Nadal. I hope I pronounced all those right. We thank you for taking part in this, and we also thank you for being listeners of our show, so we dedicate this episode to you. Songs on this still remain in the set list up till today, so this is a pretty strong album, and you can kind of gauge how good a an album does by how long it lasts on the, the live stage. So our first song, Hello There. What do you think, Andrew? It's probably the best opening song, I think. Whenever they open with it, it, it really gets you know the, the blood pumping or the energy going. I don't think they should... I think they should never... How am I going to say this? Oh, here, I'll never say it this way. They should always open up with this song. There you go. They Instead should always open with this song. And it, it just, it, yeah. It's a great song. and it's, it's short. It's less than two minutes. But I think it's really cool. It definitely gets you pumped up. Matt? See, this is one that I discovered by being into Budokan first. And so, of course, it's the first song. And in a way, it's actually hard to listen to it and not hear, you know, come on, come on next, because that's what I was used to. And then went back into finding this, the studio version, obviously, after I was more familiar with all the live versions. But again, you're, you're right on the money. It's such a great opening song. It, it's kind of odd because, like you, Matt, I'm used to going in from Hello There right into Come On, Come On. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, if you listen to the Budokan Complete Concert, you know, the first three is Hello There, Come On, Come On, and Hello Kitties. But when I saw them in Detroit, you know, a couple nights ago, they did Hello There, Hello Kitties, and then Come On, Come On. So it was a little weird. You're messing cool. with my head, man. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> weird. I'm like, what are they doing? But it, it was cool. <laughs> How can we not playing in the order that I want? Yeah. <laughs> well, How when they dare wanted you? To, because they told me when I was backstage that they were going to do Come On, Come On. So when they went into Hello Kitties, I was like, they lied. I was like, they're not going to do this song. <laughs> well, it's definitely a great opener, and it's hard to imagine a cheap trick show without it. And out of the 97 votes that we got, curious to where this one ranked, gentlemen? Last? No. There's, a, yeah. that, that does, there, there's one song that got one vote, and we'll get to that. But this only got two votes for their favorite top three songs. So there you go. On the other hand, it's a very short song. It's it's basically just like a uh, preamble to the show. So, great riff, great performances all around. And you know, we didn't even mention the um, "Good Night" version of this song, which was never recorded on an album, but it's a live staple. Yeah. Right. You know, wouldn't that be something if on the the last album that they're going to do that they finish it with that version? Just That'd be cool. <laughs> a nice little closer to everything. A nice bookend. 
Okay, the next track recently covered by Anthrax, Big Eyes. And of course you have to say it like that. Andrew, yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, this this used to be my favorite Cheap Trick song back in the day. When I had the original version of Budokan, I would hear this song, and I, I thought it was great. And uh, I read, you know, some some interviews that they were doing this song way before, you know, the In Color album was even thought of. This, you know, mm-hmm. predates the first album that this song had been around. And the band thought that it was just a cool riff, and I, I really agree with that because it's one of the, probably the coolest riffs that that they do, and it's a really cool song. Very Beatle-y. Yeah, that, yeah, it's it's really it's such a cool is. song, and. If I were to pick one cheap trick song to let everyone listen to, at first it would probably be this one. Well, as a drummer, what do you think of the drums on it? It's cool. The drums they differ a little bit from the studio version as they do for the live version. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bunny is doing you know a really cool uh, pattern by he's riding the ride cymbal as he's you know accenting the floor tom and the snare drum, which is which is cool. It sounds great live. Mm-hmm. And when I was first you know picking up these songs and trying to play them, I was like, you know, what's he doing there? Because it just the great thing about Bunny is what he's doing, it's it's not really all that simple, but you listen to it and you're like, well, what is he doing? Because, you know, he makes these these intricate beats and he really doesn't take away from the groove of the song and he's he's not doing anything all that hard. He's such a tasteful drummer. And this is a right. great example of that. Well, uh, this is not on this album, Hello Kitty. I have yet to figure out what he's doing there on the drums whenever I sit behind a kid. He's, um, if you watch the... Um, the live oh, footage from no, Budokan. not 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 the live one. There's, there's they did three songs. It looks like they're in a club somewhere. Yeah, like Someone's the in, night gallery. Yeah, I night think. gallery. That's yeah. it. If you do that, it looks like he's riding um, his biggest rack tom, and he's mm-hmm. playing you know the snare drum as well. So he's playing a shuffle on the uh, on the biggest rack tom with the snare drum. And on our next show, we'll have a dentist on to tell us what he thinks of when he listens to Heaven Tonight. No. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that, Matt. What do you think of Big Eyes? Well, well you know, it's funny because Big Eyes, the the one main difference, if you ever hear the French French version, where he really loves her big as, and it's it's, it's about a different part of the body. So it's just uh, you know, <laughs> or Big Eyes. If, if you're not a, if you're not a Pink Panther fan, right, right, right. But anyway, that was uh, yeah. Again, I mean, it's one of those really great songs. The groove on it is phenomenal. And like you said, the the drumming on this, I think, is one of those standout kind of tracks. You know, and it's, again, another one that, you know, was something that on uh, Budokan is one of the standout tracks. And, and you know, really, it's uh, it's just a fantastic song. And, you know, while we're talking about Budokan, did you guys know that when they aired the uh, the, the April, the April, I think it was the, the April 30th show, of the Budokan on, on Japanese TV, which is also included in the Budokan box set. They didn't include this song. Mm. They skipped over Big Eyes. Wow, oh, that's crazy. Which I took, to, I took that as a personal insult to me. You know, uh, 35 <laughs> years later, I was like, they personally insulted me. So. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Well, Big Eyes did a little bit better than Hello There. It got a whopping 12 votes. So that's pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. But it still doesn't put us in the top three. It puts us at number four. So, mm. it's the, it's it is this is your favorite number four track. So there we go. Now let's do a little history. Uh, in Color is the second studio album by Cheap Trick, released in 1977. It was produced by Tom Werman. The album is considered a classic of power of the power pop genre, as well as one of the best rock albums ever recorded. I agree. 
The album ranked number four on Shake Some Action, the Ultimate Power Pop Guide, which I assume is a book. In 2003, <laughs> the album was also ranked number 443 on Rolling Stone's magazine list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And really, what do they know? Nothing. Well, exactly. But still, that's that's it's pretty good to be in that because should be higher. I would I would go with that. I would go with that. It was released in September 1977. Oh, my mind goes back to those times. How about it? This was an album I had to wait to buy. It was you know because like 4.99 was so expensive back then. <laughs> and where'd you buy it? Probably like a Peaches or something, or maybe oh, no, a JCPenney. Oh no, nothing as cool as that. Are you ready for this? Like a Rite Aid drugstore or something. <laughs> like you know, it, it's it's funny you know, when I watch all those those old you know Kiss TV compilations. Sometimes I'll throw on you know an album commercial. Peaches records and, and tapes. Yeah, it, it'll have like you know the local record store attached to it. It'd be like you know buy this at Jr's Records and Tapes. You know, mm-hmm. just you, you look at you listen to that and you're like. Yeah, you know, I know me. There's no stores like that anymore, and there really wasn't, you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only imagine what it was like back then to actually be able to go into a Rite Aid or something and buy a record or buy a CD or buy a tape. I mean, now you go in there, you go into Rite Aid, and it's like the only thing they have, you know, stocked is like Barry Manilow's Greatest Hits or whatever. Right. But they, they, there used to be drug stores and mom and pop stores that would have little <clears throat> bins where you could go in and buy new albums. But I remember having to wait to buy this album. I don't. I, I guess, like I said, four ninety nine was was a lot to. Well, you probably had already spent your money or saved your money for you know Alive Two because Alive Two was coming out in November of seventy seven. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, that was a Christmas gift, but yeah, I did. <laughs> well, that. Well, well, then you spent all your money on Love Gun, which came out in. <laughs> so there you go. And bubblegum cards. By the way, did you guys see the bubblegum card mockups that I made? They yeah, those, those are cool. Yeah, I, I really would love to to make some cheap trick bubblegum cards and i might someday and just put like old bubblegum in there too so yeah, that, that yeah, you yeah. bite down it breaks your teeth <laughs> <laughs> just like the old do you know right. like oh. i got a pack of kiss cards years and years and years ago i was maybe like five or something still this this these cards are still 20 years old at that time and i actually right. i take the bubblegum out i'm like I wonder what this is going to taste like. I and took a little did. bite of it, and it tasted like rotten pez. So, oh my <laughs> lord! That's that's probably a whole uh, episode itself. Is just uh, which ca- which cards had the best gum? Because most of the gum with the kiss cards and even the Star Wars cards, I always remember it was real chalky. Like, yeah. and you're like, oh, we'd throw it away. It was awful. <laughs> uh, now there'd always be that one kid when you're like unwrapping a bunch like a like everybody's got their different cards and there's one kid that like gets a a ball of gum in his mouth so big he can't chew it he can't he's got to choose between either breathing or chewing and eventually the breathing takes over so anywho <laughs> well we move on to our next track somebody here really likes this song it's called downed Andrew voted for it three times. So, what makes you vote for this song three times, Andrew? Even though like, it counted as once, I, I have to right, say. Right, it only counted as once. Um, you know, it, it was funny. I got introduced to this song when I got the complete Budokan concert. So, it, when I initially got into the band, I, I really had no knowledge of this song because I got Budokan first and then I got the greatest hits. This has always left off the greatest hits. Why is so, that? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you think some of the, the staples are left off of the greatest hits, which I, I don't know why. I mean, he, he, same thing with Kiss. I mean, sometimes they make these weird greatest hits list, and the greatest hits are left off. Like, for example, Double Platinum, Shock Me isn't on there. Why? Right. I don't know. So anyway, once I got the Budokan Complete Concert, I got to hear this song for the first time. And, you know, initially when you have the song, you always skip to the ones that you know. And, and for one reason or another, I, it, it stopped on this song. And I listened to it, and I, I just thought the groove was really cool, how it starts out with you know, just the guitar and, and Robin, and you know some of the harmonies in this song were really cool. So I listened to it once, then I went back to it, listened to it again, and then I you know popped in the Budokan you know, DVD, watched it on there, and it, it, just, it just grew on me. It's just one of my favorite songs. It's got a really great hook, and uh, some of the chord progressions in there are really cool. And it just it's one of my favorites. I, I can't explain why. It just, it's one of those songs that just hit me. Matt? See, I, I would say that the reason why it probably doesn't make all the greatest hits is the fact that they that they probably want to avoid the controversy where he says, you know, it's either that or suicide, and then you think of Jesus Christ, and mm-hmm. it's yeah, not it's yeah. not as upbeat as like I think a lot of time when they put those greatest hits, they figure they're going after the people that Party are rock. I want you to want me and surrender, or like later it was uh, that seventies show theme song, and and I think. In a way, it's why I like this song so much is that it's one of those in the catalog where, you know, if you're having kind of a crappy day, I think that all the time. I'm going to live on a mountain way down under in Australia. It's either that or suicide. And you say, well, you it's know. such a strange strain on you. And amen. Yeah. In the world today, you know, it's it's one. It's not like I never really bought into all that really kind of depressing kind of music. There's people that love depressing music, and I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is about as depressed as I get. You know, you listen to it and you say to yourself, you know, that sounds like a good idea. I could live on a mountain on their way down under Australia. And you got to know that they love that in Australia. This is like, <laughs> this, this probably makes every set list that they play in Australia, or at least probably should. <laughs> you guys and, wanna... and, you know, it sounded great when they did it at those Budokan anniversary concerts last month. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's not, it wasn't in, it's never in, you know, the, the normal live set list, at least anymore. Yeah, it really should be. I I really do think this is one of the strongest songs, maybe out of the entire Cheap Trick catalog. Just it, it there's something about it. It's different. It kind of sticks out to me. And uh, like you said, you voted for it three times. There's something unique about it, and it's uh, it's really just a fantastic track. And then there's that one musical breakdown in it where it almost sounds like a James Bond or spy movie. Where oh yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, it, it it comes out of left field, but it, it fits so well fits so well and it comes right back in to me this another beetle type thing and i i'm a huge beatles fan love them love them love them and every time uh cheap trick kind of references them musically or thematically i love it but uh, to me this sounds like it could have come off of abbey road yeah I, i could agree there sure great song so this is your favorite song off of this album the cheap trip collective with uh, 19 votes so hooray yeah. for downed so there we go now let's take a look at some of the singles action off of this album there were four singles released 1977 they released i want you to want me backed with oh boy then later southern girls backed with you're all talk in 1977 as well clock strikes 10 backed with so good to see you and number one in japan i guess giving a little thing there and in 1978 so good to see you and you're all talk backed with your all talks i don't know why they released basically those songs again but 
anyhow. So our next track is I Want You to Want Me. How would you guys think that this did in our voting? It, it was the last one. Absolutely. I mean, because Only when you think one about vote. this, one everybody, I, I can't think of that anybody would prefer the studio version over the Budokan version or the version that's heavier that's on the Sex America Cheap Trick or certainly, and we haven't really even talked about it, but even the, the one they did for that Steve Albini mix, mm -hmm. every one of them is better than what the studio version on this album. And I, and I remember getting, you know, obviously, like I've said a million times, being into Budokan first, and you go back to this, and you go, uh, what is this? Like, why does this sound like, you know, and then there's the old-timey piano thing going on. You're like, um, this, I don't, you know, this isn't nearly as good. And yeah. I mean, certainly, I think the Budokan version put them on the map. So it's like the one that everybody's the most familiar with, and then you're like, Hmm, this isn't quite there. Well, I'm glad you said that because you know I don't want to be labeled as the you know, the angry podcaster because I listen to this song and I'm like, that's what, another what show, we... the angry podcasters. Yeah, 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 it, it would just be me. I'm kidding. Yeah, it would just be me. I listen to I listen to the studio version of this song and I I always have to skip over because I'm like, what on earth were they yeah. thinking? This sounds like total garbage. It sounds like it probably should have been done by some kitty band. This isn't this isn't a rock band doesn't do this song. If I had heard this song. And someone's like, "Hey, this is a, a huge hit, or going to be a huge hit." I listen to it, and be like, "What? What are you smoking? Because this is awful. It's terrible. It's and not it's catchy. It sounds like it was recorded on, you know, someone's like Sony, you know, cassette player. It just, <laughs> it doesn't sound good. It has no punch, and it doesn't grab you like the Budokan version does." Well, I mean, I think another one in the entire catalog of Cheap Trick sticks out as kind of like, "Wow, this is really odd. Like, it just mm -hmm. doesn't, it doesn't feel like a Cheap Trick song, even." It's just so different, and like you said, it's it's just it almost makes you really stop and go, who thought this was a good idea? Yeah, but having said that, it became their biggest hit and made them the stars that they became. So, but but not this version. No, not this it. version. That, you know, now, thank see, God. See, I disagree with you guys a little bit. As much as I love the Budokan version, this this does have a nice little space in my cheap trick heart but uh you <laughs> well, know I, I while we're talking about this uh, there's actually an early version that was tacked on as a bonus track mm -hmm. to the first album yes uh, when they when they you know remaster release everything mm -hmm. what do you think of that version it's okay it's good to me the the de the uh, definite version is budokan mm -hmm. right so you know it's, it's just the way it's going to be but you got to realize that everybody in the record company uh, or their the production team thought this is it, and they've obviously probably had great response from the crowds, you know, when they would play this because you know they were uh, touring with all these songs. So they probably had a really good vibe with this track, and then when they took it in the studio, it just kind of was subdued. <laughs> and I was reading the liner notes of the uh, the Budokan collection, and they were saying that this song was originally dropped from the set list, and they only added it back into the Budokan just because they needed you know some more songs. Right. So this track was the track that almost didn't make it into the Budokan mm -hmm. set list. I guess the ragtime piano is really what throws you guys off. 
Yeah, it it's, like, yeah, yeah. Like you're in a country western bar. Like it should be like in a like a western movie or something. Like, like a someone's bad playing western poker, movie, but, and there's yeah. a guy who's right. you know playing the piano, and he's got the little suspenders on his sleeves, which I never <laughs> understood why there were suspenders on sleeves. I just and he's not even playing like a grand piano. It sounds like he's playing somebody's you know son's <laughs> Casio <laughs> piano in the back. I'm like, could you at least have sprung and got a grand piano? Yeah. It's a player piano, and that on the, the other paper hand, is going around. It is an <laughs> excellent performance by whoever played the piano. Yeah, it's the same guy who played the piano in Christine 16, probably. <laughs> no, 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 no. He got shook up what I got now. But, uh, you know, for as much as this song defines the band, this was your least favorite song off the album, only getting one measly vote. Up next, You're All Talk. Written by Rick Nielsen and Tom Peterson. This is the first co-write on the album, so, and we will see this appearing uh, again later on side two. So, what do you guys think of "Your All Talk"? You know, I I never I never liked this song as much. Now, Andrew, as a drummer, right away, that is this kind of a discoy kind of that it's it has a discoy feel. Well, he's almost. doing the sixteen. He's he's riding sixteenth notes on the hi hat, and then riding quarter notes on the snare. So. The beat is kind of cool. I just think the song kind of falls flat. It, it's my least favorite on the album. I like this one less than that crappy version of I Want You to Want Me. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm going to yeah, blow I... your guys' mind. Think of Fleetwood Mac and think of Lindsey Buckingham and now think of that guitar riff. That, well, on, to yeah, me, on sounds our, like on that. our Fleetwood Mac podcast? That'll oh, make uh, sense. Mac and cheese? That would Mac, make sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, it has that kind of picking that Lindsey Buckingham does. It just reminds me of that. And maybe that's what they were going for, because Fleetwood yeah. Mac was huge at this huge. time. I, I can tell you this. Uh, I went to get the oil changed, and my stepson was in the car with me, and we were listening to this, and he's like, can we skip this version of I Want You to Want Me? And we popped right into your all talk. And he's like, did they do disco? And I'm right. like, that's not disco, you know, because you don't hear like, you know, but, but you know yeah. what? But I, I always thought it sounded kind of discoy. It has that kind of that kind of rhythm that was in so many of the songs at the time. And even it just I don't know. This one is another one that kind of to me anyway sticks out as just an odd sounding song in in their catalog. But yeah, just add was... just add a xylophone to it and Rod Stewart <laughs> vocal, and there you go, right. disco. Ex- exactly. But if exactly. someone's trying to get a dance hit out of those lyrics with this song i just can't because it, it's almost like counterproductive you know because dance music is pretty much good time having a good time kind of thing this is like shut up shut up you're all talk i can't stand you, you just... <laughs> <laughs> or you know maybe they're they're in a club somewhere listening to that kind of music in the background and there's just somebody who's yammering on you know you never know what inspires the songs but they had to be, I mean, obviously everybody was hearing what was going on musically. You wonder sometimes if it's in there almost as a goof on disco, if they're going, ah, this disco stuff is crap. Mm-hmm. You know, Or kind of like you're at a club and some guy keeps trying to talk to you even though you're clearly trying to ignore him as you drink, you know, kind of like <laughs> you're all talk. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to make a confession here. I actually like disco music quite a bit. Oh, I do I too. Do. But I, I will say this. Back when this album came out, I was in the other camp. It was me, Alice Cooper, Van Halen, Kiss, you know, Black Sabbath, Cheap Trick, whatever. We are anti-disco. It was it was the death. It was it was horrible. But you listen to it now, and you're like, it's not that bad. And then I would listen to the Bee Gees on 
the top 40 station and go like, wow, that's really good stuff. I can't tell anyone that, though. Yeah, listen to it with your headphones on in the yeah. bedroom, you know, alone, yeah. in the dark. You, know, I'm sleeping right now, but you really like rocking out of the Bee Gees. Yeah, so this is great times, great times. But yeah, I'm, well, uh, I think I'm a also closet maybe disco and, guy. And because we kind of grew up in the 70s, I admit a lot of that when you hear some of those disco songs, only because they're so caked in nostalgia and cocaine and you know that we uh, you know we think about them in in a way like you said the 70s 77 78 79 you know fantastic times i didn't necessarily follow disco and i certainly wasn't going to discos and things like that and, and I, I just can't picture you in an all-white suit boy me neither <laughs> so, you know unless it was a straight jacket but well, the you uh go. you know it's the really, cleaners yeah, it's really, I don't know, it's funny, the funny thing about disco, and there's always such a backlash, and now, you know, if you're on the 70s channel and Sirius or whatever, and you hear it, you go, ah, you know what, it does take you back to a certain period of time. Yeah, it absolutely does. Let's talk a little bit about the album again. In Color, as opposed to the band's self-titled debut, features a more polished production in the hopes of making a commercial impact. While the band members complain that the album lost its power through Tom Warman's overproduction, In Color does show the band's more melodic side that was partially lost on their debut album. The album made them superstars in Japan where I Want You to Want Me and Clock Strikes 10 were hit singles, with the latter hitting number one on the Japanese charts. Five of the ten tracks on In Color were later released in live form on Cheap Trick's classic live album, Cheap Trick at Budokan. In Color's front cover has a color photo of Xander and Peterson sitting on motorcycles with the words Cheap Trick in color across the top. Its back cover has an upside-down black-and-white photo of Carlos and Nielsen sitting <laughs> on mopeds with the word and in black and white across the top. This was the first time we would see that uh, cover thing where you put the good-looking guys on front. No, nothing against Rick and Bunny and the weirder guys, or the character guys, on the back. <laughs> I know Matt and I are sitting on mopeds for sure. Absolutely. I'm on a little bike. I think Andrew, that little prick, is weaseling his way on in the <laughs> he, front cover with his David Cassidy yeah. looks. With, you know, on my front cover, wearing my best Danny Terrio shirt with like the first three <laughs> buttons on <undone. laughs> What do you guys think of the cover? Oh, it's fantastic. And then, like you said, that it established what they did then for years was, uh, you know, Robin and Tom on the front and Rick and Bonnie on the back. And, and I think it, it really tips you off to the kind of sense of humor that they were having, that they were having a good time with it. Uh, and, you know, and obviously then they kind of repeated that through the years. I, I think it's fantastic. And they brought it back when Tom came back to the band. Right. Because they kind of got away from that. I think it's kind of funny on uh, the one-on-one album cover. Mm-hmm. They covered up the, I don't John even know his Brand's name. Face. The, uh, the, uh, the other face. bass player, let's cover up that guy's face. Yeah, it's just, who really cares about yeah. that guy? <laughs> we're gonna, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is literally a whole other podcast, and we're going to do that one. But uh, well, anyhow. I like this cover because like it's you have one cover on the front, and you flip it over, and it's another cover on the back. It, it really, I think this really signifies... 70s albums because they were so concerned with the back and the front uh-huh. on every album because you had this giant piece of artwork that you can hold and 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 look at while listening to the record. Uh-huh. They didn't, they don't do that with CDs. I mean CDs are just like let's just list all the you know the songs in track order on the back. Let's not really worry about a picture or any type of design work on the back. But at this time they were really concerned about let's make this look like a like a cool package. So I really appreciated that. And then you opened it up on the inside. And it's, yeah, really it's cool almost game. hyper color. Like, have you guys ever looked at that? I mean, it's just so bright. Mm-hmm. It's great. 
And it's actually our header on our Facebook page. Yep, which is a collage from the collection of the lovely Matthew Porter. <laughs> yes, it is. I have a lot of that stuff on vinyl, and it is, it, to, you know, we can do a whole show, and I'm sure there's there's millions of podcasts dedicated to the fact album artwork is just a lost art form, I mean, at this point. I mean, oh, you, totally. like, you know, like you said, I mean, when you had an album, you had this big, you know, piece of, you know, cardboard or whatever in your hand, and then by the time it shrunk to CDs, and now, really, the websites are your album cover, and you're yeah. buying an MP3 that doesn't even really have anything to do with artwork or anything. Well, and, uh, you know, the Cheap Trick albums, you know, it's certainly like the Kiss albums. You know, you'd sit and study them while you were while you were listening to these albums. Looking and, uh, for meaning you know, where there is none. Exactly. Except it's more of a pastel black. Yeah. Can't it, really get more black. More black. Turn this up to 11. Um... <laughs> I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate as much as I love the cover. It's kind of screwed up. I mean, it, one of the problems I think that Cheap Trick always had was their sense of humor might have gotten their way at some point to be taken serious by some people. I mean, yeah, I could see that. I remember watching TV show appearances like they'd be doing a talk show, and and now oh, here's Cheap Trick, and Rick would start doing his thing where he's like crying with the guitar picks and flipping them up and catching them in his mouth and all that stuff. He's the only guitar player that I ever saw have his own laugh track. <laughs> like, they didn't know what to do with the guy. Do you know what I'm saying? Every The band's playing their heart out and he's uh, being a goober, you know, looking like a cross between Pee Wee Herman and Hunts Hall and he <laughs> they literally would sometimes just slide a laugh track under his performance I'd be like well why are they doing that and George Harrison didn't get the laugh track and you know on the other hand he didn't really really cool sweaters and jump around like that so. but uh, yeah as, as far as the cover it is kind of bizarre uh, you know to like talk about this as a great piece of artwork two guys on Harleys two guys on mopeds it's it's not really museum quality stuff here but it is it is classic and it's great so well, it certainly. I think this cover certainly defines where they were kind of going with that Robin and Tom as the sixteen magazine, uh, you know, cover guys. And you had, you know, obviously, and we talked about a little bit last in the last episode is that you know Rick was really kind of in a way kind of almost creepy and and had this evil kind of thing going on, like where he would totally make some of the faces of the camera. You didn't quite know what to make of them. Right. And I think even at the time that was, you know. It really does come out in this picture. You know, I think how they were going to try and sell the band was you had, you know, these two, you know, cover guys, and then you had them meet these guys where you go, well, maybe you're the weird guy or, you know, the weird girl, and, uh, you know, uh, hey, look, these guys in the back are maybe a little more like we are, but... Uh, yeah, I could see that. Your All Talk actually got nine votes, so that's that's pretty good. That put it down to one, two, three, four, five. The fifth song, your favorite fifth song off of this album so there we go well Andrew, <laughs> do me a favor reach over and flip the album over to side two you got that okay okay that feels good all right okay everybody we're on side two now did you turn over do you feel better it's good to turn over sometimes so side two kicks off with oh caroline another girl that starts with c we've got oh candy oh claire and oh caroline 
off the first okay. three oh, albums. Oh, Candy wasn't, that wasn't I, about a girl. I know, one. I know, but in my mind. Right, oh, okay, so right. I, I, Actually, know it's I always a, thought so, too, until you told us last month. I know, you know I ruined right? it, I ruined it, <laughs> it, 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 it but, but you kind of think that, like, Rick has a thing for uh, female characters that start with C, so I wonder if he was dating girls that started with C at the time, so. And oh, because it's oh Claire, oh Caroline, oh Candy, oh you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start it up. All I right. actually, I really like this song. It, it's kind of one of those songs where it really, you know, kicks in almost immediately when you when you put it on. And I think the, al- nice the version on the album, it. yeah, the version on the album and the version on the Budokan, I think they're both great. I don't like one more than the other. Um, and I think it's funny. I'm, I'm going to mention this now, and I'm surprised we haven't mentioned this. You know, we're halfway through the album, but the um, the Steve Albini version of this song just totally rips it apart. Well, we're, it's we're probably my define. It's probably the version I go to more than any other version. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about those pesky Albini re-recordings after this. So. Just... Right, so, ed- so edit that out then. No, no, no. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's a teaser into the next. It's a half. teaser, man. We plan it out. It's like synchronicity. <laughs> but we're not. Yeah, that's this a, that's not a, a police, police podcast, podcast. Right. right. <laughs> so, Matt, what do you think of Oak Caroline? I, I like it. It's a great song. Again, one of those that, uh, you know, stands out on the album. I, I really think it's uh, just a great track. I think it's a straight up love song, and that's something that's hard to come by from Mr. Nielsen. Even when he writes, you know, again, his his sense of humor will hop into a song and kind of take it in another direction that another writer wouldn't take it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, exactly. I think in a way it's, and we're going to talk about this coming up in a couple of the other tracks, but it is, it, is, it, it never turns dark. She doesn't dump right. him. And it actually, like you said, I think in a way, and I think a lot of writers have kind of said that it's easy to write a real pissed off song or the heartbreak song. It's much harder to write kind of a nice love song without kind of sounding maybe wimpy or, you know what I mean? And it's, I, I kind of appreciate that about the song is that it really does seem very uh, straightforward and, and you always it's one of those things I think if you really sat down with them who inspired it who's it about I don't know it would be nice to find out the thing about this is I'm surprised it was never released as a single yeah you know I could see this as being a really good single me too it, it would have fit on the 70s charts oh absolutely probably. well let's take a look and see what our voters thought of Oh Caroline it comes in with 8 votes for Oh Caroline this is your number eight song. <laughs> Our next track is Clock Strikes Ten, another live staple from the band. Andrew? This is one of those songs where I think this should have been the ultimate closer because it just sounded like to me that it would be the perfect complement to closing a show. Um, I, I really enjoy it. I think it's got a really cool rhythm to it. I could see why it was a number one hit in Japan. Um, it's not one of my favorites off the album, but it's one of those ones that... If it's on, I won't turn it off, but it's not one of those songs that I'm like, i got to listen to this one. But it's still a very cool song, I think. And it forever changed how you listen to a clock. When you you hear that go off, you know, um, we have a big clock tower where I work. Every time you hear that uh, that kind of, you know, the the bell in a way, you know, that that he starts the song with you, oh, 
it makes you think of that song. And uh, yeah, I really I think it's one of those that really you, you almost can't imagine it not being in their set because it is a perfect closer. It, it's such mm -hmm. a it would, I think it would also make really a great opener. You know, especially when they if they were in a club going on later. Obviously, if you're you know you're playing the show at seven o'clock, uh, it maybe not the same. But I, it, it's a just a great either opener or closer kind of song, and and really builds up. So I think I think it's a really fantastic song. I agree. I concur. Well, this is your sixth favorite song on the album it comes in with nine votes so that's that's pretty good it ties with your all talk our next track southern girls another nielsen and peterson co-write and it's time for southern girls Woo! so matt what do you think of this track you know, I this was always one of my favorite songs on the album, and I think in a way because it, in my mind, it makes you think of girls in Daisy Duke shorts and tied up shirts in the front, and uh, you know, uh, from coming off a farm somewhere. And uh, I guess it depends on the south, the southern of wherever you are, and uh, just that imagery. And uh, it's funny because you know they they've got nothing to lose, and in my mind, you got got nothing to lose, and you go, well, it sounds like a good good way to go. Yeah. Well, as a northern boy, I used to dream of these southern girls, and I actually wound up with one. So, uh, <laughs> See how that works? Yep. There's some excellent finger snapping in this track. To me, this always sounded like the ultimate kind of summer song. I never really yeah. compared right. it to, I guess, southern girls. It just sounded like, you know, girls in the summer. That's what it sounded like to me, and that's what I always compared it to. And then as far as the song goes, I think it has one of those really cool, catchy courses. Uh, definitely a standout track on the album. Again, Rick's guitar kind of sounds neutered a little bit. Um, you know, they were going in for this polish. version. Yes, in this version. But we're going to get to that, Andrew. We're going to get to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, great, great drums. And I love the lyrics. There's a girl on YouTube that lip syncs this. And she's a southern girl. And she's really cute. And you'll just fall in love with her if you can find it. It's uh, I don't know what it's called, but I was just going through looking at cheap tr trick videos on the playstation 3 on you on the youtube app and there was this girl lip syncing and, and she looked like to be like 17 or 19 or something and it's like how did you even hear this you know I mean? <laughs> like you said if andrew could take his dad's jacket you know this girl's <laughs> record you know and, and i think that's cheap trick is one of those bands that has managed to keep coming back around and gathering new fans so it's uh you know, it's that kind of stuff that really, uh, you know, it's why they will, will always be around. You're going to get kids that are younger that are going to be turned on to it. So, And maybe I'm a whore, but anytime a girl says hump, I do jump. <laughs> <laughs> and I go and I know that there's no time getting so close to you. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's see where Southern Girls rank. Number three song is Southern Girls with a whopping 14 votes. So, Yeah, great song definitely deserves its spot next one probably the one i voted for uh the most uh or whatever come on come on i just love this song just love it so much lyrically i love it i love the the music everything about this song it's probably one of my favorite songs on the album uh lyrically man you guys have been in relationships i, I know matt's in one and i know i'm in one and <laughs> um, I'm going to guess that Andrew's been in several because he looks like David Cassidy. Um, <laughs> several this week. <laughs> several this week. <laughs> anyway, because he's a side uh, front cover guy. Uh, plus, he's in a band. So <laughs> can, we, can we put that in writing that I'm a front cover guy? Sure, sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's just 
this this is one of those weird love songs. You know, sometimes you're with your wife or girlfriend or whatever, and it's like, just don't ruin this, whatever you do tonight. Please don't ruin this. Because this could be really cool, what we're going to do here. Don't don't talk too much about the kids or whatever it is. <laughs> just don't ruin it. Don't you ruin this tonight, tonight. It's been so long since I don't know when. Oh, baby, baby, treat me right. Tell me that isn't a, like... 95% of all married guys are all guys in a steady relationship. So You know what? I'm going to totally agree. Now, to me, this one stands out. I would pick it as my favorite song on the album. And it is one in exactly the ways that you have mentioned. It's one that we've grown <laughs> up with, but yet it's the meaning has changed so much. <laughs> it's like, weird because when I was 16, really, <laughs> right, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, and I think in a way, to me, the two my two favorite songs on the album would be Come on, come on, and down because it's it's the both ends of the spectrum. You know, come on, come on, really. And I was going to mention this when I kind of talked about it earlier on Oh Caroline, but it's a it's that it's a really a go to happy song. Mm-hmm. Like he is feeling good. He's feeling and, and great. He's feeling it's it's like one of those nights, and you can think about exactly what you said. Over the years, maybe it's changed in the fact that, you know, now you're saying to your wife, don't talk about the kids or whatever. But, you know, you knew when you were going out, even when you were a teenager, you were headed out, just just don't get in my way tonight. You know, yeah. like, don't ruin it. And that vibe, I, I have always loved this song, really for those exact reasons that you mentioned. And then the just the fact that it has, as you've gotten older, morphed into the accompaniment of so many situations where you think like I'm feeling good. Why are you why are you just just shut up <laughs> in the nicest possible way, don't ruin this tonight. Please. You know, and, yeah. and again, maybe because it's it's the second track on Budokan. It's one that I got into very early, but I just I love this song. I almost couldn't say it enough out of the whole catalog. It's one that, that I really always go to and if I'm gonna make a cheap trick mixtape or something like that, mixtape listen, I'm very old. You make a CD or a playlist or whatever. <laughs> Make a playlist. Just put a couple songs on a thumb drive. I'm sorry. I'm I'm so dated. But the, uh, you know, it really, I I almost can't say enough that I really, this is just a fantastic song. And like I said, probably my favorite song on the album. There's an urgency lyrically to it, though. Uh, You know, again, don't ruin this tonight, but it's been so long since I don't know when. Treat me, treat me right. There's a vulnerability there as well. And um, it's really neat. And then later he says, don't ever lose it because you're the one. Show me you really want to be mine. That is, there's there's a vulnerability there in the lyrics that is kind of surprising coming from Rick at this point. And such a great sing-along chorus. You know, you can sing it back. and it's You can sing it back the second time you hear it. Yeah, yeah. and you're, if you're cruising around, and like you like said, like Southern Girls makes you think of uh, the summer. This one is another one. This is a mu- you know windows down, music up. You know you're you're hanging out, and it really does speak to just having a great time. And uh, you know yeah, it's uh, two, four thumbs up here. And it's weird four. because if 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 yeah, four <laughs> four thumbs. Yeah, I can't like, even count like, that high. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three times. <laughs> but if you watch a lot of clips uh, on YouTube of the 70s of the band doing this back in the 70s rick would do like these bizarre guitar riffs and you know where we're used so used to hearing it the one way on budokan but then sometimes he'd just go off and 
play a little bit of weird thing and Robin would always be able to come back in and and they'd be right back where it was and it was it's really cool but it's one of those times where cheap tricks cleverness might have gotten their way you know what I mean because uh, Rick would always try to do something different and something weird every so often with instead of doing the same old thing over and over and over again and this was always one of my song my favorite songs off Budokan and it was one of the songs that I loved and I never got to hear live until I saw them in, in Detroit this past time and I was really, really excited that, that they finally played the one song that I've always wanted to hear live. It's not my favorite Cheap Trick song. It's definitely up there. but um, It's a damn it, fine song. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, and just like Matt said, it was the perfect compliment to Hello There on Budokan. And, um, you know, you, you, put on, you put on Budokan, you hear Hello There, you hear this song next. And it's just, it's a great song. Absolutely. A great, great song. Great one to punch. Mm-hmm. Well, since uh, we're talking about 70s, I'm going to do my... Casey Kasem imitation here. Zoik's J Scoop. No, um, <laughs> moving up two notches to number two <laughs> on the Cheap Trick in Color Top Three Countdown. Taking the number two spot this week, it's Come On, Come On with a whopping 15 votes. That's great. So there you go. <sighs> I think you should do the next one, the next you know podcast, all in Casey Kasem voice, <laughs> and then I'll get a cease and desist letter. Let yeah, right. Me. Please stop doing bad imitations of me. Rolling <laughs> in his grave right now. That's great. Is he, is he, is he, has he passed? I believe so. See, I didn't think he had passed. Someone Google. Let me see. Google, Google, or Bing, 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 whatever. I'm Casey Kasem. Um, this is the longest We're dedication them up that goes around you know finding what? out whether I'm dead or alive. He's still alive. Who who died then? Hmm. No, he's he's 81 years old, born April 27, 1932. Yeah, 81 Did you guys ever Coming see his wife? Number 81. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now moving up to number 81. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do a good as Ken does, but yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> I don't know why I thought he was dead. Well, I, I think he's kind of retired from uh, his show. Basically, but his uh, his show airs on the Sirius Network and repeats and stuff like that. Well, he ended his uh, his 39 year career on July 4th, 2009. So there you go. That's probably why I thought he was dirt napping. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he also did the voice of Robin for a bunch of uh, right, right. cartoons mm-hmm. and, like mm-hmm. Super Friends and whatnot. So, and yes, I did learn how to do all the different voices of Casey Kasem's <laughs> Shaggy. That's Robin, a whole other show, and that's the. Casey Kasem podcast, which you can find on iTunes. No, I'm kidding. Um, anyway, so with a whopping 15 votes, number two on our top three of In Color. So, very good standing. Great song. It deserves it. And the last track on the album, another Beatle-type tune, So Good to See You. Andrew, your thoughts? This is one of those great songs that I didn't discover until I actually went back and started getting, you know, all the individual albums. And it, it was one of those songs where I'm looking at the track list and I'm like, yeah, I've never even heard of this song before. And then I heard it and it has one of the coolest choruses, I think, in any Cheap Trick song. It's one of those songs where, you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, I gotta listen to this song. It's just, it's just a cool track and it's kind of... I think this is one of those lost tracks, too, that not a lot of fans are going to cite as their favorites. They don't really play it live. I don't even know if they've ever played this one live, but I think it's a great song. Well, I'd love to hear it live. Now that you I would, too. Now I'm sad. <laughs> I would, too. Now I'm sad. 
So, Mr. Porter, what do you think of it? You know, a good song. I, I always thought it was kind of odd as the last song. It doesn't feel like it wraps up the album. Like, you know, and especially now you're listening to it on CD and it comes back around and, and comes back into Hello There. Like, it, like in a way, maybe it's because we're used to Clock Strikes 10 kind of ending the Budokan album and feeling maybe like it could be a closer. I mean, I might have put that at the end of the album, back when sequencing an album actually meant something. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of... It still it does in my world. It, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, you know, and that's that's the only thing. I like the song. I think it, it, it almost feels like, like it just kind of ends. It doesn't really give you that big finish to the album. Well, if you're listening to the 1998 reissue of In Color, the live version of Good Night does end the album. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. To me, this would have been, had they not had Hello There, this would have been a great way to start off their second album. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. You know, like, hey, here we are again. You know. But again, Beatle, Beatle vibes all over the thing, and I just love it. Love it, love it. Absolutely. And a cool little drum fill in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of jazzy. Totally. But yeah, but Bunny was very tasteful in, in all of his parts. I, I got to give it to Bunny. He wasn't one of those guys that was like, "Hey, look how fast you know I could play on the double kick or anything like that." He would just play these really cool, tasteful patterns. This was your seventh favorite song off of In Color, and it got an eight votes and tied with Oh Caroline. So that's our dog, uh, cheap cheap bark. So there you are. So let's talk about the Albini re-records they are out there folks and you can find them on the net if you want to we're going to play a little compilation of everything we won't play each individual track and we don't want to get in trouble with anybody but we're going to play a little compilation and you can decide if you want to pursue it of course you probably will
on a brand new shirt Get a little coat of a bird You say I don't know why this is not just released, period. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, we, I started off uh, the episode by by quoting from Pete's comment about how about the discovery. I never heard of this. This was like getting a brand new album. Obviously, if you're a cheap trick, you know, hardcore fan, this is probably nothing new to you. But it, this came out of nowhere to me. I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. And I didn't know anything about it. And it really, the, the way it sounds so live, the recordings are just, it, it, it's like you're there right there with you. And it's not produced, it's so stripped down. And it had, like, you can really hear everything. And obviously, they've been playing the songs for so long that to go back in and, and basically make what sounds to me like a live studio album. I love it. I really, I'm amazed by it. And I was, and I was just thrilled that you uh, would point me in the direction of uh, listening to it. I I would at least wish that the band would somehow release this digitally, if nothing else. I mean, I'm all for wanting an album. I want an album. I want yep. a CD. I'd buy it on vinyl. I'd buy it on everything. But you buy it on a track too, right? Even without an a track player. <laughs> yeah, why not? Bought the latest. I don't, know why, I don't you know. know why they wouldn't put this out. You figure it sounds to me. I mean, the version obviously that that floats around then sounds finished and it's raw. And I mean. I don't know why they wouldn't put it out. It's a fantastic set. And even when we talk about the songs that are like what would be considered bonus tracks, if you're thinking just in color, it's all great stuff. The Albini mix is definitely my go-to mix. Every time I want to hear this album, I put on that one because the album, it just, it sounds, it sounds like, to me, it's, the album sounds like how the band wanted to sound back in 77. You know, this is this is the type of album that they wanted to put out. They wanted to put out a raw, really guitar-driven, you know, rock album. Uh-huh. It still has all those pop hooks that, you know, we became familiar with, you know, in the original recording of the album. But to me, this sounds like a band that is pulling no punches and that really knows these songs and is really playing in your face. On the other hand, there's things like when they do Southern Girls, they... Uh they, they start to do a little bit of train cap rolling. Still, I, I think every time I want to hear these songs, you know, I, I put them on. And it's funny to me that this was recorded, you know, back in 98. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're just, you know, getting on the bandwagon of this. It's like 10 years that this thing has been floating around. And I know there are parts of it that, you know, aren't 100% finished. And I know, you know, Rick has said in interviews that it is finished and that it will be coming out sometime soon. But it's never seen the light of day. Actually, the only track that has been officially released is hello there it was included in one of the uh one of the rock bands yeah whatever it was let's go through the track listing at least what i have here Mm -hmm. um is hello there big eyes downed i want you to want me you're all talk oh caroline clock strikes 10 southern girls come on come on so good to see you i'm losing you oh caroline an alternative version can't hold on i want you to want me a uh really ragtime version then follows out with fan club is that pretty much the same thing you have, right. Andrew? Same, same thing I got. Same thing. I got. My my track order is a little different. Like I, mine goes fan club. I want you to want me. Can't hold on. I'm losing you, oh Caroline. That's what I have too. 
I actually, I, I don't really care for the alternate mix of Oh Caroline. I think it kind of takes yeah, it's a lot really of the, it takes a lot of the punch plotting. out of the song. It's really slow and plotting. Mm-hmm. It sounds but, like it's like almost a depressing song when you're yeah. listening to it. it, it it's almost it, it almost ruins the groove of the song. It's almost too slow. I'm, kind, I'm really glad that they recorded that two versions of it. On the other hand, it's great to hear them do "I'm Losing You," the John Lennon track. Oh, totally. Which Bunny I mean, all, all these songs on. are cool. I mean, it was cool that they went back and they did the the fan club song. I really like that a lot. And uh, and, and going back to the. I want you to want me on the, I guess, on the actual A side of the album. This sounds great. I, this track sounds way better than the track originally on the '77 version. Yeah, everything okay. sounds more like their their version that they would play it live, and I think it's mm-hmm. obviously I want you to want me way better live than on the studio version. Um, I would say Fan Club. I didn't discover until they put it on that Sex America Cheap Trick box set. That's a great song that I that I really right. wish was more uh, featured. Although I actually, compared to this version, I really like the one on Sex America Cheap Trick, especially at the end where they're kind of name-dropping all their friends and Butch and Sammy and Yoko! Thank you, Yoko! You know, it's uh, Juanita! You know, they go through that whole list. And, and it's funny, that one I listen to so much, I can actually go through and I know who they're going to thank next. And I, always, <laughs> I just, I love that song. You know, I'm surprised that, it, that this one is not one that, that they really would bring back um, more into their set, and it's just—I think it's, it's fan club, just a fantastic song. I agree. I agree. It's been around for—it's been around forever, and it just—it's it, funny to me that it's never—you know—I mean, I know it's on Sex America Cheap Trick, right? But it's like one of those songs that's never been officially—you know—put out there on a full-length album. I think I think it was actually supposed to be on the first album that it was written that early, mm-hmm. and even then, you kind of—it definitely—that's one where you definitely get that sense of them struggling you know you know thanks for supporting us kind of song you can see them writing it at a time when maybe they really were thrilled that people were showing up to their shows and i think uh it it i'm really like i said i'm kind of surprised that it's never become more incorporated into you know you talk about which songs should be on the greatest hits i i really i think it's one of those like you said lost kind of songs that really should come back yeah, I agree. One of the one of the fans at the meet and greet asked them to play it, and they were like, "Oh, and you know, not tonight. You know, maybe one day they'll actually pull it out." But you know, fans love this song. Well, let's do a little uh, cheap trickypedia here. In color was re-recorded by the band in 1998 with producer Steve Albini. The band's intention was to record the album on their own terms and for the song to sound the way that they had originally intended. However, the album was never officially completed or released, but it was leaked onto the internet along with a handful of other tracks re-recorded during the same session. Oh boy, the B-side of the single, I Want You to Want Me, was re-recorded with vocals in 1980. It was released in 2003 on the Oh Boy demo slash If You Want My Love demo promotional 7-inch vinyl record. In April of 2010, Rick Nielsen confirmed to the online music site Spinner that the band had in fact finished re-recording the album and planned to release the new version in, quote, the not-so-distant future, which Mm. should be now. Right. I believe we're in the not so distant future now. Well, you so. wonder who's got the rights to it. I mean, it's, it, did they do it themselves? Will it come out on their like? I would think it's things like that. Now, you figure '98, you were just kind of seeing the internet. You know, you didn't have MySpace or Facebook or all this stuff. You know, you'd think now if they just put the songs on CheapTrick.com, they're a dollar a song. Here they are; they're finished. 
people would know where to get them. So it's, you know, I, I don't know why they don't even need a record company at this point. Just put it out. Right. I agree. I agree. Uh, even though I do want a hard copy CD or album or sure. both, I, I still think they should just get it out. You know, maybe it's one of those things they haven't released it because of their, you know, relationship with Bunny. Because obviously Bunny played on it. So maybe putting it out and trying to figure out, you know, who, how, you know, Bunny would be compensated for it. Maybe that's, you know, one of those things why it hasn't been put out. I mean, who knows? Who knows what the real story is? Yeah. Because I know, I know, well, I, I don't know. I just know what I've read. Uh, based on what I've read is they, they say that Bunny is still a full member of the band and that they can't record or put anything out without either Bunny playing on it or without his okay. So I, I don't know how true that is. That's just what I've read. Well, they put out that song on the Chris, the Christmas song, and that was where I first started reading him online, saying, "Well, how could they be recording a song without me?" And mm-hmm. you know, things. So I don't know. I mean, that and they they're not very public about it. You know, they haven't really talked about it. And I mean, obviously, you know, we we as Kiss fans, you know, we know every we hear everybody rumbling about who's in the band, who's not in the band. We haven't really heard a lot about this. I mean, I would love to know. Really, what they see as you know, what's his role, and yeah, that, it's a that would be a whole other show. But it, it's funny because you know, uh, Rick came out at one point of the show, you know, a couple of days ago, with a guitar with the Rockford album cover on it, and he holds up the guitar, and then before people are taking pictures, he put his hand purposely over Bunny's picture. Wow, uh, that's crazy. Very so strange. Who knows? So who knows well, what's really what's really going on? We hope right. whatever it is, they work it out and that everybody's happy. That's all we wish for them, yep. uh, mm-hmm. because Amen. they're they're real life people behind it all, and it's really none of our business. It's it's up to them what they put out, and they've always been a very private band to the point of uh, purposely giving misinformation as to their origins and stuff like that. So <laughs> the world may never know. Crunch. So, Crunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, episode two. Hope you enjoy it. Andrew, tell them where to find us on Facebook. You could log on to Facebook. You could find us at facebook.com slash groups slash cheap talk. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you want on the show, and we'll do the best to make it happen. So, guys, want to say goodbye? Good night no. now, ladies and gentlemen. Good night now, ladies and gents. And we will let uh, our lovely announcer take us away. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. On behalf of the cheap talk staff we would like to wish the lovely miss chelsea epstein happy graduation Woo-hoo! so you did it you, <laughs> you did it <laughs> <laughs>